It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone in the audience. Thank you for joining the program with me. In episode 100, I showed that it is widely admitted by both atheist and Christian philosophers alike that the logical version of the problem of evil has failed. But, as Yogi Berra formerly said, the game is not over until the fat lady sings. Those atheists who still cling to the problem of evil as something against the existence of God now bring in a relief pitcher who they hope will finish the game with a victory. Atheists now pose the problem of evil as a probabilistic argument. They claim that given the depth and extent of evil in the world, it is highly improbable that God exists. Surely God, the atheist conjecture, could have reduced suffering without reducing the world's overall goodness. Here the atheists are appealing to this issue on an emotional basis and not a rational one. Why? Because they offer not a single shred of evidence for their conjecture. That there is pain and suffering in the world is beyond dispute. What is at issue is how a good God could have reasons for permitting suffering in the world, since much of that suffering appears to be utterly pointless and unnecessary. Upon reflection, it is not difficult to discern a good reason for some suffering. I suffer the pain of hernia surgery because the presence of a hernia could be dangerous to my health. My children were allowed the possibility of falling and scraping their knees while learning to ride their bikes so that one day they may be able to ride without the aid of training wheels. We choose to take the pain of an injection in order to avoid some diseases. In the last episode, I commented that the reality of human freedom might make it impossible for God to bring about a world as morally good as this present world without the presence of evil. Perhaps if there is a lot of good, then there could be a lot of evil. Nevertheless, at this time, I have no evidence to substantiate my hypothesis. Even in the Bible, it is clear that in this world, Christians can expect trials, temptations, sufferings, and persecutions. Often God uses such suffering to open our mind to his existence, to grow our character, or to bring us closer to him. 
The logical version of the problem of evil asserts that the coexistence of an all-good, all-powerful God and evil is logically impossible. Today, this version of the problem has almost been universally abandoned because the burden of proof of demonstrating that there is no possibility at all for the coexistence of God and the fact of evil is just too heavy a burden for the atheist to bear. The probabilistic version of the problem of evil, on the other hand, involves a burden of proof that is much lighter since it asserts that God's existence is merely improbable relative to the evil in the world. That reason alone may be its primary appeal to the atheist. Thus we encounter the evidential probabilistic problem of evil, which is still very much a live issue. Nevertheless, I think the atheistic claim now is very much like a drowning man clutching for a straw to keep himself afloat. So what can be said in response to this new argument? At least three points show that the atheists are not able to shoulder this lighter burden of proof either. These three points appear in the book Philosophical Foundations for Christian Worldview by J.P. Moreland and William Lane Craig and also appear in Craig's book On Guard. First point, despite the aversions of the atheists to the contrary, God's existence relative to the full scope of the evidence is actually probable rather than improbable as, as atheists claim. If the logical version of the problem of evil were a sound argument, then God would not exist and the case would be closed. But that version failed miserably. Moreover, what is sometimes overlooked is that probabilities are always relative to some background information. Thus, with any probability argument, we need to ask improbable with respect to what background information. As an example, suppose that Joe is a college student. Suppose further that 90% of college students drink beer. With respect to that information, it is highly probable that Joe drinks beer. But now suppose we are given the additional information that Joe is a student at a religious university that is opposed to drinking, and that 90% of their students do not drink beer. Relative to this new information, it now becomes highly unlikely that Joe is a beer drinker. The point that this illustration makes clear is that probabilities are relative to the background information one considers. Since the atheist claims that God's existence is improbable, you should immediately ask him the above question. If suffering in the world is all the background information the atheist is considering, then it is not surprising that God's existence should appear improbable to him relative that, to that information alone. Indeed, it would be a major coup if theists could demonstrate that relative to the evil in the world alone, 
God's existence is not improbable. But the Christian theist need not be committed to such an arduous task. Rather, the theist will insist that we consider not just the evil in the world alone, but in addition all the evidence relative to God's existence including the philosophical arguments in favor of God's existence, like the Kalam argument about the beginning of the universe, as well as evidence concerning the person of Christ, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus, the existence of miracles, and, in addition, that of existential and religious experience. This would be reasonable because the real crux of the question is whether God's existence is probable relative to the full scope of the evidence. William Lane Craig says, I'm convinced that whatever improbability suffering may cast upon God's existence, it's outweighed by the arguments for the existence of God. In episode 99, I referred to seven good arguments I had given in this program. I also said that in the book Making Sense Out of Suffering, Peter Kreeft suggests that there are at least 15 arguments for God with a little overlap with my list. Evil is evidence against God. Okay, I will grant that. But atheists have only one argument against God. The problem of evil, but most of the evidence is for God. At a superficial level, suffering calls into question God's existence, but at a deeper level, suffering actually proves God's existence. For if evil exists, then so does good, but that implies there is a rule, principle, or a law to distinguish good from evil. In turn, that implies there must be a lawgiver, but this state of affairs opens a can of worms for the atheist. If God does not exist, then there is no lawgiver, and thus no good, and therefore no evil. Emotionally, I grant that suffering offers positive evidence for denying God's existence. But if the atheist believes suffering is bad or ought not to be, then he's making a moral judgment, and the moral argument shows that this is possible only in the context of God's existence. What you need to understand is that most atheists who write about the problem of evil are tacitly assuming that there are absolutely no good arguments for the existence of God. So for them, the question is whether evil and suffering makes atheism probable, given that there is nothing on the other side of the scale. Surely, everybody acknowledges that only one side of a story is not the whole story. I have argued there are very weighty arguments on the other side of the scale, which outweighs the atheist argument against God. If X is the probability that atheism is true, given that there are no arguments on the other side of the scale, 
then X is systematically reduced by the probability that the 15 arguments are true. The key to the evidential slash probabilistic argument is the atheist claim that God does not have good reasons for permitting the suffering that occurs. How does the atheist know that? We can all agree that much of the suffering in the world looks unjustified. We see neither its point nor its necessity. But the fact remains, looks can be deceiving. The success of the atheist argument depends on whether we are warranted in inferring the conclusion that because suffering looks unjustified, it really is unjustified. Second point, we are simply not in a position to assess with confidence the probability that God has no morally sufficient reasons for permitting the evils that occur. As finite persons, we are limited in intelligence and insight. We simply do not know everything. The medical profession is probably the most educated group in the world. But medical research goes on all the time because doctors know they don't know everything. But God operates from a different perspective. He sees the end of history from the beginning and providentially orders history to his purposes through people's free decisions and actions that can be verified in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. In order to achieve his purposes, it is conceivable that God may have to allow a great deal of suffering along the way. Suffering that appears pointless within our limited framework may be seen to have been justly permitted by God within his wider framework. To claim otherwise is to arrogate to oneself a godlike status. The Bible makes it clear that evil is something God neither intended nor created. It frames the problem of evil by keeping it in its proper context. Evil is meaningless without something good with which to compare it. That can be verified in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Scripture shows that God did not create evil and does not promote it. Rather, the Bible describes God's action in combating it. God limits the impact of evil, warns us of the dangers of evil, acts to stop the spread of evil, gives us an escape from evil, and will eventually destroy evil forever. Let me close this episode with this brief discussion. A certain preacher and an atheistic barber were walking through the city slums. The barber said, this is why I can't believe in your God of love. If he was as kind as you say, he wouldn't permit all this poverty, disease, and squalor. He wouldn't allow these poor street people to get addicted. 
No, I cannot believe in a God who permits these things. The minister was silent until they met a man who was especially unkempt. His hair was hanging down his neck, and he had a half inch of stubble on his face. The preacher said to his friend, You can't be a good barber, or you wouldn't permit a man like this to continue living here without a haircut and a shave. Indignant, the barber answered, Why blame me for that man's condition? He has never come in my shop. If he had, I could have fixed him up and made him look like a gentleman. The preacher said, Then don't blame God for allowing people to continue in their evil ways. He invites them to come and be saved. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.